Welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Forner, a physiotherapist working in pelvic health, as well as a new student researcher on the fun, long road to a PhD, where we will be looking at pelvic floor problems and exercise. I'm here to bring you information from leading professionals on all aspects surrounding pelvic health for any gender and any age, from the vast range of pelvic floor problems to exercise and sport. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome and thanks for listening. It's Lori here. We are going to talk about sexuality and sexual health in physiotherapy and no one better to talk about this than Dr. Yuchenna Osai, otherwise known as UC. In the social media world, she's known as UC Logic. I will put all of the links to all of her stuff. Um, it is absolutely brilliant. She is so wonderful to talk to and I'm going to give you her bio straight from her website, which is uclogic.com as in Y-O-U-S-E-E-L-O-G-I-C.com. So Dr. Uchenna UC Osai is a sex-positive pelvic health physical therapist, sex educator and counselor, and is on the faculty for the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor Sexual Health Certification Program. UC is only one of three licensed physical therapists in the world with an AA-SECT certification in sexuality counseling, as well as the only black physical therapist with this specific designation. UC spends her days treating people with both sexual and pelvic floor dysfunction and her evenings educating the masses on everything that has to do with sexy time. When it comes to sexual intelligence and great sex education, UC embraces always being unapologetically real, happily crunk, and deliciously kind. She is all about improving the sexual intelligence of adults, and one way she's doing this is through her bourbon tales, where people can submit a confidential question and she answers it. For example, I used to have urinary incontinence, but it was fixed with physical therapy. However, I have a persistent fear that I'm going to pee all over myself, all over my partner during sex, so I avoid sex altogether. Any tips to improve my libido? Now, the way that UC reads it is so much better than what I've just done, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of an idea. Another question that is on there that she answers, I'm a 24-year-old person and I've been with my partner for about six years now and I'm getting really bored with sex. Don't get me wrong, I orgasm, sex is fine, but it's just not exciting anymore. Is there any way I can address this without hurting my partner's feelings? She has questions um, that are non-gender biased, that are from anybody on any topic um, and she just helps to give a little bit of advice. Just before we start the episode, I wanted to give a big shout out to the $2 sponsors of the Pelvic Health Podcast. I'm a little bit behind, but thank you so much to Sarah King, Alana Turner, Lindsay Durand, Lynn Watts, Kelly Tatham, Emily Georgopoulos, Jennifer Anderson, Monique Harath, Jilly Bond, Sharon Golbert, who is actually from the Volvo Pain Society, Helen Keeble, and Taylor Rays. Or Taylor Rays, I'm not sure 
sure how to say your name. I'm so sorry. Thank you again. If anybody wants to sponsor to support the podcast, you can head to the podcast on Podbean. So through the app, there's a little button that says become a patron. You can support through $1, which is in US dollars, but $1 a month, $2 a month. Um, You can cancel at any time. There's also an option for a one-off $25, which then gives you access to all the episodes for the entire year if the exchange rate and stuff is a little bit annoying. Um, But again, if you aren't familiar with the um, patron side of things, it was just a way my way of saying thank you for the support. I put extra episodes out. I'm trying to get them out every fortnight on different papers, topics, sometimes little interviews. If you download the Podbean app, you can see all of the different types of patron-only episodes that there has been. And if you would like to support the podcast in a non-financial way, I would love it if you could share the episodes on social media. If you could go to the podcast app that you're using and rate and subscribe and review the podcast so more people can find it. Um, All right. Thanks, everybody. Here is the episode. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you reaching out. I honestly... It's, it's funny because I, you know, this summer I've kind of been taking a little bit of a break to like rebrand and stuff like that and to kind of get, you know, my life together. But um, it's funny how I had no idea what I said resonated with anyone. So I, I always just speak my truth and I try to, you know, model communication, sexual communication and educate people because honestly, like that's the primary deficit when we're dealing with sex. It's like really just education and understanding what all of that means. But anyway, you, um, you talk about it being sex ed for grownups, which I was like, yeah, that is so perfect. And you're right. Like we, we learn what we learn a bit of sex ed in school and probably not very much. And I don't even remember what I learned. Um, I think right. I, you know, learned more from my friends <laughs> Who knows? Right, right. I don't, I don't even know how old I was, and I'm watching my kids right now. They're ten and eight, and I'm watching kind of. I'm trying to see what they're learning. They're not learning it in school yet. My son's in grade five, and I'm trying right. to see what they learn from their friends. And I don't think it started. I feel like they learn a little bit more from me, given the job that we do as physios working in pelvic floor. Um, yeah. But yeah, we need grownups need it, and not just. I mean, when I think I when I first contacted you, I thought. Let's talk about how this fits in with physio, but really, after looking at all of your stuff, I was like, you know what? It's not just physios and medical professionals that need this. It's everybody. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, I I mean, and I think it's funny because, you know, physios are, at least my experience with physios, it's very, like, you know, um, kind of really geared towards, like, these specific, like, parameters. And, you know, I'm just talking about something that's very human. And I think that even as healthcare providers, we have to understand that human aspect of ourselves. When we have a poor understanding of it, or if we don't have a full grasp of it, it's hard for us to service our patients, right? It's, 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 we just have to be aware of like where we fit because, you know, people have this misconception that every, and my goal is to make everyone like sexually liberal. It's like, that is not my goal. My goal is for people to know what resources they have available to them and feel comfortable in their skin and being able to stay or move forward depending on what works for them. And your beliefs are your beliefs, but facts are facts. And I just like to dispense myths (laughs) with facts and then 
you can kind of utilize that how you will. Um, I would love for you just to kind of tell us a little bit about how you ended up where you are today talking about sex education, but coming from a physio. How, how did you end up there? Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny. People ask me that, um, have been asking me that a lot lately. And it really came from almost like a lack of, like what was missing is for me as a physiotherapist, there wasn't any clear model of sex education for for my patient population mm-hmm. or how to model sexual communication. You know, <laughs> I felt like marginalized communities weren't being reflected. Um, you know, I it was and it wasn't a core training for pelvic health physios, which I found to be really shocking. And patients time and time again would say to me, I wish I met you a few years ago. I wish I met you 20 years ago. And I keep thinking to myself, well, how do I get this information out to people? And so I started UC Logic mainly just to to give them another outlet, another a resource that was credible. But before I did that, um, I wanted to really know my stuff. I really, I wanted some strong didactics. I wanted, I wanted clinical <laughs> expertise and guidance. So I did, I think I'd been practicing for about, I don't know, four years. In pelvic and, floor physio or just regular? Pelvic, yeah. Okay. In pelvic floor physio, or five years. And then I decided to enroll in the sexual health certification program at University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And um, that was a year-long program. And it was multidisciplinary. But I had never gotten such a robust sex education. And it wasn't just, everyone thinks it's just about the mechanics of sex. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You know, it's so much more than that. And and being able to practice and work with my colleagues who are physicians and clergy, who are teachers, educators, you know, <laughs> it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And so the director of the program, her name's Sally Foley. She's now retired. She approached me and she's a, a licensed clinical social worker. And she said to me, you know, you see, there aren't many physical therapists or physiotherapists in the world with the type of training that you have. At the time, I believe the only two people who had it were uh, Holly Herman and Tally Rosenbaum um, in Israel. And, you know, but there was no one else who had an AA sex certification. So I took me a year and a half, (laughs) but I I went and I I completed it. And so that's when I felt, and and in that process, and during I was getting mentorship, that's when I started UC Logic. And that's when I said, okay, like, I feel comfortable communicating to the world because now I have this strong foundation. It's not just it's not just based on my interests alone, but actual training and expertise and you know clinical experience. I don't think that they have that in any of the education programs still. Like I know that it's better that you go and do a specific certification, but I mean, if we're talking to patients that are having pain with sex or any other problems, I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a little bit more that we really need to know before we try to educate them. Not just, oh, your pelvic floor might have some tension. Let's work on that. There's so right. much more, and we just don't know. Absolutely, and I found, you know, when I was even, it changed the way I practice because they would say, even for for my male patients and my gender nonconforming patients, depending on what genitals we were working with dilators or stretching the pelvic floor was like the primary intervention when it came to sexual issues. And I'm like, uh, 
that's a that's a component, yes, but it shouldn't, it's I don't even think it should be the go-to. I think it should be, you know, an accessory, you know, because some people definitely need it and other people that can actually be almost like a re-traumatizing experience for them. I and, love sorry, I'm stopping you there for a second because yeah. I love that you just said that because I do feel like in the physio field, people are so focused on what they're doing from a manual therapy or with their hands physically to people. And when it comes to, you know, any kind of sexual intimacy and relationships, I feel like, like you said, a lot of the times you really don't need that, but I feel like people don't know what else to do. Right. Right. The go-to is manual, right. Or, you know, do this, do, you know, do these two, but it's not addressing the core piece. And, you know, uh, you know, one person asked me, they're like, is that, isn't that mental health? And it's like, no, I'm not giving them, you know, I'm not doing mental health, you know, services. I'm not a mental health provider, but giving a patient education about their sexuality, their sensuality, understanding where that comes from and, you know, especially with patients with chronic pain or chronic illness, understanding that interplay is vital. And we need to make sure that that's something that our patients are at the very least informed about, right? At the very least, they understand it's not just penetration. <laughs> that's not that's not the only way we define sex. And your sexuality is so much more than than that act, right? Your sexuality is influenced by culture, laws, <laughs> religion, right? So many so many aspects, psychological factors. So us not understanding how those play play into each other or play out in ourselves and in our individual selves is, you know, that's we're shooting ourselves in the foot. So particularly when you're dealing with different populations. So when you when you talk oh. about when you say sexuality, what what are we talking right. about? I, it's basically the central aspect of who we are as human beings, right? It encompasses our expressed thoughts and opinions, fantasies, desires, behaviors when it comes to the act of sex or our our sensual selves, right? And some, for a lot of us, you know, we express them, we experience them, but for some things we don't always express an experience, right? It's an intersection of biological processes, economic processes, political processes. And, you know, it's more than just our gender identity and roles. It's more than our sexual orientation. It's more than eroticism and pleasure and intimacy. It's all of that combined. I think of sexuality as this big umbrella. And then under that umbrella, you have sex, right? You have sexual health, you have sexual rights, but our sexuality is the big umbrella that everything else lives under. When you're talking about sexuality and you're trying to educate your patients, so if you've got somebody that you're seeing who has pain, what do you, is there, everybody is different, but what kind of things do you start to discuss with them? I'm assuming if they're having problems um, with pain with intercourse, you'll be able to pick up um, where you need to start. Like, is it a, you know, how much do they know about their own sexuality? What do they know about, you know, again, sex education? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what I first do when you're thinking about sex and sexuality or any, actually any healthcare component, I always, we always ask about goals, but a lot of times with these patients, their goals are different than their expectations. And so I ask my patients, your goal is to be, have pain-free intercourse, but you expect for this to occur in a month. They do. 
or less. Yeah. Or you expect to be pain-free, but then have sex every single day, pain-free, <laughs> you know, seven yeah. days a week when it's been 17 years. Right. And so I do a lot of expectation setting with my patients first. And then I ask them, I said, well, where did this expectation come from? You know, is it based on, you know, the previous, previous experiences? Is this based on like what you expect you're supposed to do in your relationship or just as a person, as a woman, as a man, as, you know, someone who's gender nonconforming. And, and I, I just start there with that information, right? I ask them that. And I ask, you know, you know, who taught you about sex? How did you learn about sex? You know, talk to me about, tell me the last positive experience of sex that you had. And it doesn't necessarily need to be penetrated. Right. We go from there. And then sometimes, depending on the patient, I might go in the direction of talking about, you know, I draw out the biopsychosocial model on the dry erase board for them and we fill it out together. And I said, OK, what's going on with you biologically? Right. Name. That's what you here for. That's what you know. You have vaginismus. You have urinary urgency and frequency. You have chronic back pain. <laughs> you know, we have all these things. Right. You have asthma. Okay, but what about, you know, psychologically, you know, do you have a little bit of anxiety? You know, do you have intermittent depression or seasonal depression? You know, we write all those things down. Culturally, are you heterosexual? What are your religious beliefs? What about what's going on with your education? <laughs> like, you know, and it's it, all of those things as we fill them out, my patients will say, wow, wow, I didn't realize how all of this is interlinked. I said, yes, right? Yes, because if they're expecting to get a shot of testosterone to increase their libido and say, oh, I have zero desire to have sex. And if I get testosterone, I'll be able to have sex like a teenager. It's like, well, not really, because we have all these other things at play. Right. And like, yes, medicine might be helpful, but it might be a small piece, not the piece. And we still need to understand how all these play out. You can't change a lot of that stuff. You can't change how you were raised, but it can help inform how you view sex. It can help inform why you have these expectations, why you have these certain goals. And go from there. Do you, do you find that when people talk about sex, they automatically assume that it's some type of penetration? Um, a lot of times, yes. I, I make a clear distinction. I say, are you sexually active? They say yes. I said, are you sexually active with penetrative sex or non-penetrative, or, you know, penetration or non-penetration? Both, you know? <laughs> and people, you know, I, I feel comfortable kind of deep diving into that. It's like, oh, do you masturbate? Do you engage in masturbation? You're like, yes. Penetration or non-penetration in your masturbation practice? That's very relevant to, <laughs> to when a patient says, oh, I'm fine when I masturbate, but I'm not fine when I have a partner. It's like, okay, well, how are you doing both of those? Because many people assume that they're masturbating the same way that they're having sex with a partner. And that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Do you find, yeah. do you find that a lot of people, I am um, the population of women, um, cause I'm only seeing women right now, people who identify uh -huh. as women, um, uh -huh. the population of those women I find will usually say that they don't masturbate and they've never uh -huh. masturbated. So do you yes. find that that is a really common thing that people just do not explore their own bodies? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because particularly women and people who identify as women, we are not given that license, that freedom of license, you know, right. When we're young at the boys, if you, they're caught masturbating, they're saying, Oh, that's fine. You just have to do that behind closed doors. Right. If you're caught, caught your daughter masturbating, it's like, Oh my gosh. 
you know, I hope she doesn't become, you know, a loose girl or a slut. I hope yeah. she doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I hope she doesn't get pregnant. I hope she doesn't get an STD. You know, it's two very different messages. Here, you know, you have, when you're thinking from a binary standpoint, here you have the boy that's allowed to express his sexuality and discover his sexuality, right? You know, kids have been, the, you know, boys have been touching themselves for a long time, so they know exactly how to access their pleasure. No problem. Right? They've been given that cultural, you know, permission, that sociocultural permission to discover that aspect of that that aspect is a key yeah. word, right? Because that's not sexuality. Masturbation yeah. is not sexual, it's a part of it, right? For women, they have been not been given that permission from a sociocultural standpoint. So of course they're gonna think of masturbation as something that's, you know, lewd or out <laughs> kind of sexually, you know, deviant, when really. That's the best research study you can do on yourself <laughs> is masturbation is the exploration of pleasure, right? Because then, you know, the whole point of sex or one of the many points of sex, excuse me, is that it needs to be a mutually beneficial, mutually pleasurable experience. And the way that your partner accesses pleasure does not necessarily be the same way that you access pleasure, but if you both communicate, you both can be happy. And that I think is very radical to, to kind of talk about sex that way. I never tell a woman you need to masturbate. Yeah. I know that sounds crazy, but I don't. Yeah. I don't because that, you know, I, I kind of say, okay, you know, let's talk about what is, what is a barrier for you? And they're like, I just don't feel comfortable doing that. And I'm like, okay, well, how about self-touch? Let's take a non-genital area like your arm. <laughs> right? Let's kind of focus on that. Let's take long showers where you kind of discover touch with yourselves and improve mindfulness with your body, get in touch with the sensations in your body, right? You can call it masturbation or you can just call it self-touch. You can call it mindfulness, whatever, right? But it's getting in tune with those areas of your body that feel good, that you understand, that you feel comfortable accessing that. And then you can take it further or you can keep it right there, but that's very worthwhile exercise for people to engage in. Do you talk to a lot of people who aren't coming in for anything physiotherapy related? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So where yeah. do you start or where do you find you have to start with regards to sex education most often? Um, you know, when I see private clients, uh, I usually start with anatomy Yep. because it's safe for them. It's safe, it's comfortable, it's tangible. <laughs> we start with anatomy education. And then, then you know, I move them away from anatomy. And I say, okay, talk to me about your childhood. Talk to me about, you know, where, you're, where your ideas of sex came from. You know, that's a homework assignment I have them come to the table with. It's like thinking about where, your idea, where did you get this idea of sex, you know? And we play this little game where, <laughs> where I say, you know, is an orgasm necessary for a good sexual experience, right? Who's, who's, who's responsible for your orgasm? What do they say often? Oftentimes their partner. Yeah. Their partner, or they know intellectually it's themselves. Yeah. But, but they'll say, my partner, my partner gave me great orgasms. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how, you know, and they're, and they're, they're you know, they might say, oh, I, my ex-boyfriend was great at it. My current partner is not. And I said, well, what's the difference? They're like, oh, I think my, my ex-boyfriend was just more skilled. And I'm like, 
was he or was he lucky or was he more intuitive? You know, <laughs> you know, did you communicate differently with your ex than you do with your present? And they're like, no, I don't do anything different. Right. And I'm like, well, what if you communicated with your current partner? What if you told them that what feels good, what doesn't feel good? Right. It's that audacity that I think that is missing, particularly when we're thinking about, uh, you know, cisgender women. Hmm. Right. It's that audacity to kind of to claim their pleasure. Right. And then sometimes we get pushback. Right. Because on the other end, for for dudes, <laughs> for guys, you know, it's it's they're only given, you know, this one perspective of, OK, like, you know, if she didn't orgasm, then I'm a bad lover. Or, you know, if my penis isn't hard forever, I'm a bad lover. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like We have to dispel myths on both ends, on all fronts. Right. Because people have similar insecurities when it comes to sex, similar education gaps. Right. And once we fill those gaps and once we give people permission to explore, then they're going to have so much more freedom and so much better sexual experience. So we still have this gap of sex education once you get out of high school for the general public, yes. but also, you know, physios who are going to school. How do, how do we how do we fill this other than you? Because you can't be everywhere all the time, which would be really good. Yeah. And we'll talk about yeah. kind of the stuff that you have online afterwards, because I think it's such sure. a good resource. Um, have you been able to get it into any of the um, curriculum for anything? You know, I, you know, some uh, institutions, some PT programs in uh, Texas have invited me to do uh, courses on pelvic health. And of course, you know, I always sneak in the sexual health stuff <laughs> and, you know, the sociocultural stuff as well. But, and and right now I am assistant professor at the University of Texas in Austin at Dell Med School. And so um, I'm in the Department of Women's Health, so I do teach the sexual health curriculum for the medical students and for our urogynecological fellows. So when it comes to that end, but that's more on the medical side, when it comes to the physio side, I haven't, I actually haven't explored really pushing the sex education into curriculums across, especially across the U.S. And I think, I think it's, it's coming. I think internationally, um, I'm seeing little pop-ups here and there, but I, I would really love for us, our profession to expand into this realm, you know, and it can be, it can be sexuality. It can be, you know, cultural interplays or interactions or intersectionality, but all of this is really important for us to give our patients a complete, a complete healthcare experience and to improve their, their life because sexual health you know, sexuality is an indicator of health. It's a central aspect of being human. And if someone's sexuality is somehow hindered by, by the pain, by some type of chronic illness, or just by sociocultural, you know, oppression, then we, and if we don't address it, you know, we can't really have the outcomes we're looking for with, with our own PT interventions. No. And I think, yeah, I think that's, it, it's really hard because I know everybody, you know, as physios, any kind of profession that are working with patients, usually majority of the time are doing it because they care about the person and they, they want to help and they want to make them better. Um, and for me, the sex side generally came into it when I was more dealing with people with, you know, pelvic pain, but yeah. then, then you notice like postpartum women may not have pain, but 
they also would probably like to get back to, you know, mm -hmm. having sex. Um, yes. And yeah, our, our knowledge is just so, there's so many pieces lacking and we have women, you know, we have other professionals we can send them to so that they right. can, you know, work on that side, the sex education, mm -hmm. the sexuality, mm -hmm. pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, but then sometimes patients aren't, aren't going to go there. It's extra time, it's extra money. Um, and so I feel like sometimes we're in such a good position to help people. Um, but there's just that big portion that we're missing. And like you said at the beginning, um, some women may have had sexual trauma and the yes. thought of dilators or, you know, yes. the thought of dilators may actually send them backwards and they may not want to do it and they may <clears> feel forced into doing it. And then when they're forced yes. into it, that's, you know, then that's not helping them with what you're actually trying to do. But maybe that's the only thing that that, you know, professional note professional knows what to do and then and then what happens <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I, I you're absolutely right there's a huge knowledge gap on the healthcare professional side particularly in physios and this which is what spurred me to go on this you know two-year journey of education and even now you're starting to see websites pop up like o school where they do a lot of you know resource education on sexuality and sexual health for not only healthcare providers, but also the community at large, oh, right? You have um, components like OMGS, which is part of the Kinsey Institute at University of Indiana, or excuse me, Indiana University, where they talk about female sexuality, you know, in a way that's, you know, backed by evidence, it's ran by, you know, the PhD students and postdoctoral fellows, and it's an amazing resources. Now, it's not for everybody, but it's definitely a way for women to understand and at least feel open when it comes to their sexual health, their sexuality, and how to explore that at their own pace and at their comfort level. Yeah. But there's a huge gap, particularly when it comes to sex education for men. A lot of the stuff is totally, you know, really geared towards towards women. Um, but when it comes to men, they need as much education as women do when it comes to those, when it comes to being a sexual being. And and it's really fascinating what I feel is coming up the chain, especially even in the sex toy region. You have a company called Dame Products where all of their toys are external. So nothing is penetrative based on the fact that most women orgasm with clitoral stimulation. So they don't have penetrative toys, which is a godsend when you have a patient who has penetration anxiety. Yeah. And most people are really surprised when they hear that more often than not, you're, you know, you may have more of an, or you may have an orgasm more with external touch than penetration. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to talk about UC Logic and your um, platforms on social media and what you're using them for because your Instagram feed um, and stories and it, it's really interesting. So what made you start to kind of, what made you go down the Instagram or do you do more on Instagram than you do with the website? Because I think when I logged onto yeah. the website, it then brought me to uh -huh. all the Instagram stuff. Yeah, I do more um, on Instagram than I do on the website. I, um, the website's almost like a, a way for people to access me, like, you know, just in general, but Instagram is my main resource right now. And I, you know, when I started, I actually selected Instagram mainly because it has short videos and yeah. attention span 
for most people is <laughs> it's very short and the videos are 60 seconds. Yeah. So they're short and sweet and they're little bites and they'll get people thinking. And that's why I chose Instagram. But honestly, before 2016, I did not, I didn't have an Instagram account and I, I was approached by lifestyle condoms to be a brand ambassador. And they said to me, you should, you should have, you know, some type of social media presence. It's only so, three years ago. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, okay. And so I, I was their brand ambassador for about two and a half years. And, um, you know, all of my videos were on their website um, where we just recorded about sex and sexuality. And, and that's where, you know, that's also was another motivator for using Instagram. But, you know, my two main platforms or my two main pieces on Instagram is going to be bourbon tails and my swagger tips. And so the bourbon tails is essentially me just drinking bourbon because I love bourbon and answering people's questions that they either get to me through the website or they DM me or they email me and about sex. And I try to answer it in a way that is, you know, non-judgmental, that is realistic, you know, and honest right? Because sometimes I get questions that are very, very common, right? I get a lot of common questions and I try to pick the ones that I know most people can relate to. And sometimes they're a little bit more specific, but at least it models having this conversation, right? I'm not going to stigmatize anybody. I'm not going to judge anybody. It's just, this is a conversation that needs to have, it needs to be had. And just to reinforce things that people already know, but maybe don't have the audacity or courage or permission to lean into it. Well, you you and, answer some excellent questions like, again, that people would probably feel too embarrassed to talk to anybody else about. And it's, you know, it doesn't matter what gender, what culture they're from. Like you are addressing everything. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's, and you know, it's funny because sometimes people will really comment and say, you know, oh my God, <laughs> I really connect with this, you know, but what's, what's fascinating is it's the things that give me the most traffic is like a lot of the postpartum mm -hmm. pregnancy questions because it's such, you know, I mean, how many people in the world are having babies mm -hmm. and experience some type of sexual dysfunction, like half of the world. And, and so that's those, that's, that piece is the one that gets that the most traffic and orgasms. Everybody wants to know about orgasms and how to get them better. How, you know, why is it as good as it used to be? You know, there's orgasms and pregnancy postpartum are the top two topics. Is it partly because, um, a lot of pregnancy and postpartum, I don't know, there's a lot of online stuff for pregnancy and postpartum, especially through Instagram. So I find, there's a lot. yeah, there's this whole kind of mom section and pregnancy yeah. and babies that maybe they're just all the people who are on Instagram. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I hear you. It's, it's funny. I was talking to my, a colleague of mine a few weeks ago, we were saying, you know, gosh, I mean, I feel like there's a whole market out there just for mommies and sex, you know? And I was like, well, you know, yeah, there is, but there's a huge market. You can make that argument for any, every subgroup, you know, every group in, out there. Yeah. So what are, uh, what are the swagger tips? Oh, swagger I've seen tips. A couple. Yes. So swagger tips are really, really based on me. I always talk about swagger for years. So I was like, I'm just trying to maintain my swagger, you know, like trying to be true to myself. And for me, I carry my swagger by just being, being me and being real. And it's really just tips for people on how to kind of move through their space in terms of their sexuality, their identity, who they are as people, 
and giving them a bit of encouragement and saying, you know what, like, you don't have to be anything. Do you don't have to be anyone? You don't have to please everyone but yourself or, you know what? Sometimes you do, you know, you just need to stay woke or, <laughs> like, you know, it's not, you're always going to love your body. You know, like, I mean, we promote all this like self-love stuff, but it's okay. Some days you're just not going to be feeling yourself and that's cool too. Yeah. You know, you just bounce right back. It's an ebb and flow, but that's just what the swagger tip says. It encourages us to be, to be, it's okay to be human. Do you have a professional photographer following you around everywhere? Because I do. Yeah. <laughs> your photos are really nice and they're always like you. Yeah. My photos are sick, mainly because it has nothing to do with me. It's my my call, my friend, Mary Beth Kaith. You guys should check her out. Um, yeah. She is based in uh, New York and South Beach, Miami. And uh, I go, you know, it's funny. I go to her house like, you know, three, four times, a couple times a year. Yeah. yeah. And we just take a ton of photos. In all different outfits? because In all different outfits. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, you have, there's so many photos of you there and they're beautiful photos. And I'm like, how did she, where, who follows her to take all these photos? I know, I know it's crazy, you know, and sometimes there are photos of me, like other friends take, but for the most part, yeah, you know, Mary Beth and I have a solid, you know, (laughs) we have a solid plan in place to get these photos done and taken. So, yeah. yeah. So, so what are your plans kind of the next few years? Where do you want to, is there anything specific that you've got in the works Yes, yes. YouTube is coming at you. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm working on a docu-series and I haven't named it yet, but it's been in the works for several months and I've been taking the summer to really hammer it out. Um, so that will be launching in the fall and as well as kind of revamping Bourbon Tales and, you know, rebranding a bit. So um, you guys will be seeing some updates in the next few months. So I'm, I'm really excited. You, I know you were talking about rebranding. Is this, you're not rebranding with name change or? No, okay. no. I mean, I mean, there's going to be a little tweak. It'll, it'll yeah. still be UC Logic. We're just still kind of hammering out the details, but just kind of sharpening things a little bit and kind of, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I know I'm being extra mysterious you are being very mysterious Um, (laughs) people will just have to watch all of your social media platforms and make sure they keep following you Um, so are you the easiest way for people to get in touch with you is that generally through Instagram or your email you said through your website Uh yeah absolutely on the topic of kind of sex sex education for patients Mm -hmm. for people is there anything specific you'd like to kind of finish off with or Sex education is like consent, okay? It's, it's continuous and ongoing. It, it never stops. You can, you can your, your sex life will consistently reinvent itself if you put the effort into it, mm. right? To put the effort in educating yourself and not just about, you know, certain sexual techniques, but educating yourself about your sexual footprint. What goes into your daily life? What goes into who made you who you are? That is a direct influence on your sexuality, right? And it doesn't matter what you what your beliefs like, what your beliefs are, your political leanings, all of that. That is going to inform how you express yourself. And I always tell people to give yourself some grace and oh. enjoy it. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. And your one one of the videos you addressed recently, the Bourbon Tales, was so good about. Um, being with a partner for six years and being bored. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I was just like, how many people have that problem? Yeah. Again, especially with like so the, the moms or not even just moms, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, just people who've been with their partners for a really long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm it like, it can get very <laughs> boring. So, so I like how you're saying, you know, keep exploring. It's continual learning. It never ends. Yeah. You've got to put effort into it. I love just listening to you talk. So um, oh, thank, thank you. you so much for all of your time. Okay, without completely butchering this, because I don't have UC reading this for me, um, I'm going to give you swagger tip number 98 from UC Logic. Uh, check this out on Instagram. I think sometimes we do this to ourselves when it comes to hashtag sexy time. We kind of put the whole pressure on ourselves without giving ourselves the opportunity to practice sexual communication, understanding how our personal histories influence our sexual experiences, practicing different avenues of sexual pleasure, partnered and solo, practicing active sexual learning and education, etc. This ends up looking like, what's wrong with me that I can't come quick enough? Why is my libido so low compared to my partner? Why can't I have a vaginal orgasm? We immediately start to trash talk ourselves and assign blame, which only leads you in the exact opposite direction that you want to go. The solution comes in the practice of giving ourselves a little bit of grace and a lot of education so that we can turn this, the what you got, huh, into I got all this. Just a little UC logic.